This incident uh, appears to be targeted. A barrage of overnight gunfire disrupting a quiet GTA neighborhood. Tonight, what homeowners and police are saying about the incident and its links to a fatal shooting. Good evening. We'll bring you that story shortly. But we begin tonight in Peel region and a heightened state of anxiety for some families there. Just a day afterward of a handful of schools threatened with a mass shooting, students and staff at Harold Braithwaite were forced into lockdown because of a weapons scare. CTV's Andrew Brennan is at the school tonight and joins us now. Andrew, you have exclusive video to show us. Indeed, Nathan, that shows not only the scene inside and outside the school, tense moments becoming a little fearful for some there and also showing a student in handcuffs. From the front windows perched on the second floor, students locked in their classrooms watched heavily armed police descend on their school. So our class is like, you can see like the front of the school. So uh, I saw a SWAT team pull up like six cars and then I saw them with ARs and then I saw them t uh, go inside looking for a student. There's a lot of parents lined up here. They were worried for the children. They're asking me if like, you know, if I know anything that's going on. Jay Sean here says he felt lucky. He was arriving at school late and wasn't inside while students were locked down and police searched for someone armed with a weapon. He says he also saw the police bring out handcuffed student. He just like stood up against the car and they just searched him and everything, uh, put him in the car. Video shared with CTV News shows a handcuffed student outside the school. Peel police confirmed a weapon was recovered during the hold and secure. Another video purportedly from inside a classroom shows police escorting a student into the hallways as other students sheltered, huddled on the floor. If I'm being honest, recently it's been like really crazy, like fights every day. Many students admit to being on edge. This week, police revealed it was investigating threats to several schools in Brampton and Mississauga, warning of shootings this Friday. The list of schools growing as the days counted down, now including Holy Name of Mary Secondary School, Louise Arbor, St. Thomas Aquinas, Notre Dame, Chingakusi, Ascension of Our Lord, and with one day to go, Peel District School Board adding Lincoln Alexander to the list. Both public and Catholic boards have advised parents of added security Friday. Even though their school wasn't named, many students at Harold Braithwaite Secondary School say they and their parents don't want to take the chance. I've never felt unsafe in this school in particular, but now I just don't feel like I could go here. Lots of people aren't showing up, so I guess, yeah. What about you guys? Are you going to come to school tomorrow? No. I know my parents don't want me to come because, you know, because... Even if, even if it's like, even if it might be a joke, you can never tell you, it's always serious. And that chance not being worth any risk. Now, the police do say that the lockdown today took about an hour and a half to be lifted. But now the focus turns to tomorrow with seven schools having threats for shootings that have been put online in the last several days. Uh, now, police have, have said that they want to ensure that people are safe and there will be not only private security, according to the school boards, but a heavy police presence to get into each of these schools. Reporting live, I'm Andrew Brennan. Nathan, we'll send it back to you. All right. Thank you, Andrew. Elsewhere, police are trying to solve a shocking murder that may have somehow crossed GTA jurisdiction. They are looking for links between the overnight shooting death of a man in Vaughan and the discovery of two people with gunshot wounds in Toronto. CTV's Austin Delaney is in Vaughan tonight. Austin, what can you tell us? 
Well, it was the middle of the night. The people living on this quiet development, they were fast asleep. That was until 3.45 this morning when gunfire erupted and woke them all up. Take a listen. From this doorbell camera, the sound of a single gunshot. A few seconds later, a volley of gunfire. Moments later, a barrage of gunfire. On my footage, I hear about maybe 10 to 15 gunshots. Sounds like they were coming at once, so I believe that there was multiple people shooting at once. It is one theory investigators are working on. After one man was found dead on the road around 3.45 this morning, two others found wounded 10 kilometers away. This incident uh, appears to be targeted, so we're not looking at uh, multiple scenes of shootings right now, but we are talking about several people who were found with gunshot injuries today. It happened outside a townhouse at Dufferin Street and Summer Ridge Drive in Concord. We heard uh, gunshots. It sounded like uh, rifle gunshots. It's, it's about, um, you know, like consecutively, like da -da 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 -da, and that's it. So we thought it was um, like uh, fireworks. This SUV riddled with bullet holes was found 15 minutes later on Skipton Court in the Keel Shepherd neighborhood. It's obviously coincidental that there's a shooting that takes place here and then a short time after we find out that there are some people with uh, gunshot injuries found in North York part of Toronto. So we're going to look at whether or not there is a connection. A male and a female suffering from gunshot wounds there in North York back in Vaughan just heard a few gunshots. Um, police officer came to our door at about 4.15 to advise that there had been a shooting in the area and to see if we were okay. He was concerned about the possibility of stray bullets given our proximity to the residents. Um, and he just explained that it was a serious situation. There are bullet holes in a garage and a broken garage window hit by stray bullets. We're just in shock to see this happening right in our front yard. It's and to hear now that somebody's been murdered here and there's a shooting going on so locally, this is very concerning. Investigators believe that whatever went down, it went down in this townhouse complex in Vaughan. This is a quiet and peaceful community and this is a, it's an appalling display of gunfire and it's really a callous disregard for public safety and for human life. People now wondering if it was a neighbour who was killed. I spoke to one woman who lives here. She said she woke up at the sound of gunfire. She looked out the window. She saw the victim lying on the ground. She said she saw another person seemingly checking on him and then running away. Reporting live, I'm Austin Delaney. Michelle? Thanks, Austin. Some developing news from Queen's Park tonight. The Ontario government says it plans to remove TikTok from all of its devices. The province joins a growing list of Canadian entities banning the app because of potential cybersecurity risks. Queen's Park reporter Siobhan Morris joins us now. Siobhan. Well, Nathan, it took Canada's biggest province a little bit more than a week to make this decision when they said they were first looking into it. It's not a decision, though, that comes to a surprise to a tech analyst I spoke with, and he says this could just be the beginning. Another digital domino has fallen. The Ontario government is banning TikTok from all government devices. Government ads are being pulled from the social media app. No TikTok will be allowed on personal devices belonging to progressive conservatives either. MPP Goldie Gamari said last week she planned to stay on the app using her personal phone. In a statement, the president of the Treasury Board writes in part that the decision is a proactive and precautionary approach to ensuring the protection of government data and networks. While no data breaches have occurred, 
Our government takes all allegations and concerns about data integrity incredibly seriously. TikTok calls the approach extreme and offered to meet with government officials. This is nothing short of a pylon. First, the federal government announced that it was banning it on government employee devices. Since that call last week, every province and territory save the Yukon has followed suit. Now Ontario is in that club. Levy says the worry is over TikTok being an aggressive harvester of data. It collects more categories of information, more volumes of, of information. It essentially reaches into every nook and cranny of your smartphone, and it's pulling data from that. Even when you aren't scrolling. And there's worry about where the data from the Chinese-owned app could wind up. All Chinese companies must sign a deal with the Chinese government that if they come calling asking for data, they must provide it. The company denies that that's the case. Though Levy says leaked employee recordings suggest otherwise. Carmi Levy expects the snowball to keep rolling. He says it won't be long now before businesses start banning TikTok on phones they give their employees. The provincial government's encouraging you to take a look at the terms and conditions of any app you download. Reporting live from Queen's Park, I'm Siobhan Morris. Michelle, back to you. Thank you, Siobhan. Provincial police are sharing the details of a disturbing series of events in the Mount Dennis area last night that began with a collision. Around 9.30 p.m., OPP say three cars were involved in a crash at Black Creek and Jane. One person suffered serious injuries. Investigators say one of the vehicles involved was stolen, and its driver then tried to carjack a witness who stopped to help. They say that attempt failed, and the man then forced the occupants out of another vehicle and drove off. Toronto police are now investigating allegations that a six-year-old was isolated and discriminated against at a midtown Toronto school. But since a teacher, principal and vice principal have been put on home assignment, there's been an influx of support for the staff alleging a different narrative. CTV's Natalie Johnson reports. Toronto police confirm they are now investigating allegations leveled by a parent towards staff at John Fisher Public School. Allegations of mistreatment and racism, including that her grade one son was locked in this small room for 30 minutes. This is inhumane treatment to lock a six-year-old in a room like this. One parent tells CTV News that children at the school have been interviewed by police about what happened that day in the office. The Ontario Principals' Council denying wrongdoing on behalf of the administrators. Writing in a statement, we have become increasingly concerned about deliberately false narratives aimed at destroying the reputations and lives of dedicated educators. We are confident that once this incident is thoroughly investigated, the evidence will show that the student in question was never placed in the room, let alone with a closed or locked door. Of course, the truth is going to come out. The Principal's Council is also slamming the TDSB for apologizing for the allegations before the investigation is complete. The school board responding today, when reports of this nature are brought to our attention, we have no option but to take them very seriously. While we recognize the impact these steps have on the students, staff and families involved, we are working to investigate as soon as possible and take the necessary time to fully understand what occurred, which includes hearing from the staff involved. Dozens of parents, meanwhile, have signed a petition in support of the teacher, who has been placed on home assignment along with the principal and vice principal. It's very stressful and finding out that parents are ganging up against me. Having good experiences as white parents with the teachers, it doesn't negate my experience as a black person. The mother of a black girl in the boys' class telling CTV News today, I understand the importance of taking the allegations seriously, but there are two sides to every story. This is inhumane treatment 
The Parents of Black Children group tells CTV News today that it stands by the family of the six-year-old and believes the child. Natalie Johnson, CTV News. A school bus carrying 35 kids on their way to a field trip crashes into a van in Whitby. The bus driver facing charges. The details are coming up. It is a live look at the city tonight and the end of a bright and sunny March day. All that is about to change, though, so get your shovels ready again. Lindsay Morrison is here with a look at the current conditions. We are used to it. We are, Nathan. Here we go again. Another Friday, another storm. It's waiting in the wings right now. And while it's not expected to be as impactful as last Friday's storm, this one will be poorly timed and it is going to be disruptive for the Friday evening commute. We are under a winter weather travel advisory here in the city of Toronto. It's a snowfall warning for cities like Hamilton and Niagara. Currently, we have winds coming out of the north. That's keeping it cool out there, even though we did enjoy beautiful sunshine today. One degree currently, wind chill minus four. There is your evening forecast. Enjoy this because about this time tomorrow, we are going to be in the thick of it. A full look at your weather forecast is coming up. Nathan, back to you. All right. Thank you, Lindsay. An ammonia leak at a pork factory in Burlington has sent 15 employees to hospital. Halton police say the leak was reported at around 11 this afternoon inside the Fearman's Pork facility at Appleby Line and Harvester Road. Emergency workers say the workers suffered non-life-threatening injuries. Staff were relocated to the Appleby Arena. And there were no injuries reported in a house fire that broke out in Oshawa around 1 this afternoon. Heavy smoke could be seen pouring out of the home on Faywood Crescent near Townline in Pebblestone. Oshawa Fire says its crews had to deal with stubborn flames. Two occupants were able to get out safely. Some parents in Durham region are likely hugging their children a little tighter tonight. Their kids were on a school trip this morning when the bus they were riding in was involved in a highway crash. Our Mike Walker is in Whitby right now. Mike, no one was badly injured, but you are hearing from one parent tonight. That's right, Michelle. We spoke with the mother of a grade 8 student who tells us she is relieved that her daughter and classmates were able to walk away with from this crash that no one was seriously hurt. Investigators say the school bus driver is at fault and has now been charged. A school bus full of primary students en route to a field trip colliding with a work van at the Highway 412 off-ramp at Highway 7 in Whippy. It's a little scary, but honestly, I'm just glad that she's okay because... I mean, when you're on the road, anything can happen. Katrina Hunt's daughter, who is in grade 8 at Frenchman's Bay Public School in Pickering, was one of 35 students on the school bus, now safe at home after a scary experience. She was just a little shooken up, but she's okay. Collision happened shortly before 10 this morning at the busy intersection. The damage is extensive to the passenger side of the van. The OPP say the van was traveling eastbound on Highway 7 when it was T-boned by the school bus that was exiting the 412. The intersection where the crash took place uh, had a stop sign for people and vehicles exiting Highway 412 onto Highway 7. Highway 7 was a through lane and it looks like the school bus may have rolled through that intersection and colliding with that van that had the right of way. The OPP have charged the bus driver, a 46-year-old Oshawa man with careless driving. The students were assessed by paramedics on the scene. Police say no one was seriously hurt. Very minor injuries are reported. No one was uh, transported to a hospital. Uh, the kids were all kind of uh, you know, 10, 11, 12 years age, of age. After being assessed, the students were led onto another bus and returned to school. The driver of the van was not injured. Now, the school bus driver works for Durhamway Bus Lines. The company tells us that they have launched an internal investigation into this collision. Reporting live in Whitby, I'm Mike Walker. Nathan, back to you. All right, thank you, Mike. 
Durham police have laid fraud charges against a woman accused of pretending to be a nurse and then working as one under false pretenses. Investigators say the suspect presented herself as a registered practical nurse and shared fake documents as proof. Since 2021, she's been employed by at least four retirement or long-term care homes across the GTA. 25-year-old Aliyah Elizabeth Sampat of Oshawa has been charged with 11 offenses, including fraud over $5,000 and impersonation with intent. New numbers from Equifax show Canadian credit card debt levels soared in the last three months of 2022. The agency says Canadians racked up a 15% increase in credit card debt compared to the same period last year. In response to rising interest rates and inflation at the time, younger Canadians in particular turned to credit to make ends meet. Non-mortgage debt levels were up 5.4% in the fourth quarter, but for millennials, that debt rose by 8.4%. Canada's major grocery store chains are getting support from an unlikely ally as they push back on claims they're profiteering off rising food prices. The Canadian Federation of Independent Grocers has signaled its members are seeing the same price increases from suppliers as their larger competitors. Executives from Loblaws, Metro and Empire went before a parliamentary committee Wednesday to answer questions from lawmakers. They say their company's profits have increased, but margins on food have remained flat. You might remember in November, the RCMP launched a probe into suspected covert Chinese police stations in the GTA. And now two locations in the Montreal area are being investigated for allegedly being used by Beijing to harass and intimidate Chinese Canadians. CTV's Annie Bergeron-Oliver reports. The Chinese government is allegedly operating two more covert police stations, one in Montreal and one in Brossard, Quebec. Both are reportedly disguised as service centers for members of the Chinese community, and they're now the subject of an RCMP investigation. We believe that whatever is happening over there might constitute uh, foreign actor interference on Quebec soil. And for that reason, we simply cannot tolerate it, and we have to take enforcement action. The RCMP launched its investigation several weeks ago, but the force won't go into detail about why or how it was launched. We've received information from some members of the Chinese community regarding some of the, the pressure, the threats that they allege, you know, uh, have been received from some members of uh, the community surrounding those two centers. Last year, a Spain-based human rights group reported that more than 50 so-called Chinese police stations existed worldwide, including several in Canada. That report prompted RCMP investigations and a study by a parliamentary committee. We will not tolerate any form of uh, foreign interference, including police stations. I've been having many conversations with my colleagues around the world on this issue. The news comes on the same day as the government confirmed that in the fall of 2022, Canada rejected a visa for a Chinese diplomat in Ottawa. The Globe and Mail claims the Foreign Affairs Department believed the individual was not actually a diplomat, but a political operative. We are always uh, watching very carefully to make sure uh, that people coming to Canada, even diplomats, uh, are you know, following the rules and are coming for uh, the stated purposes. Today, the Foreign Affairs Minister revealed that the Chinese ambassador to Canada was summoned on February 24th in regards to potential foreign interference in the 2019 and 2021 federal elections. Annie Bergeron-Oliver, CTV News, Ottawa. 
Foreign interference will be on the agenda when Joe Biden makes his first visit to Canada as president. The U.S. President and First Lady Jill Biden will be in Ottawa March 23rd and 24th. Biden is going to address Parliament and meet with Prime Minister Trudeau. The two leaders are expected to discuss Russia's war on Ukraine, strengthening supply chains and supporting clean energy, among other issues. The head of Norfolk Southern apologized today for last month's toxic train derailment in Ohio. I want to begin today by expressing how deeply sorry I am for the impact this derailment has had on the residents of East Palestine and the surrounding communities. Alan Shaw testified at a Senate hearing on railway safety. He committed $20 million to help the community recover. Residents say they're still suffering from illnesses after officials decided to release and burn vinyl chloride from five tanker cars. A little later this hour, we'll look at the efforts to keep trains on the track here in the GTA. Still ahead, what officials are doing to protect the region from a rail catastrophe. And in Greece, three more rail officials have been charged in connection with last month's rail disaster. 57 people were killed when a passenger train and a freight train collided on the same track. Two station managers and a supervisor have now been charged with endangering rail safety, leading to the loss of life. The local station master was arrested shortly after the tragedy and is facing similar charges. Russia's invasion of Ukraine has been a wake-up call for the Western allies. Now Canada is going to start fast-tracking the purchase of weapons for our troops in Europe. These projects will better equip our Canadian Armed Forces members deployed on NATO's eastern flank with the capabilities that they need. Anti-drone, anti-aircraft and anti-tank weapons are on the list. There are about 700 Canadian soldiers in Latvia. They're leading a NATO battle group designed to help defend Eastern Europe from Russian attack. Just a couple of hours away on the other end of the QEW in Niagara Falls, officials are dealing with an influx of people. We're not talking tourists. Thousands of asylum seekers have been transferred there, putting a strain on resources and prompting calls for help. CTV's Beth McDonnell reports. In the border, only tell you, this is the bus, go there, this is the other bus, go there. Some people go to Montreal and the other people come here. This 42-year-old man from Colombia was one of the first to be bused to Niagara Falls. In July, after living in the U.S. for six months, he says he made an irregular crossing over the border at Roxham Road in Quebec to seek asylum in Canada. And everybody, everybody wait for a chance uh, and, uh, for a new life, you know. Together, we meet three other much younger men from Colombia and Venezuela who also crossed on foot in February. They say many escape poverty and violence for better opportunities. Quebec says it can't accept any more asylum seekers, and so the federal government has transferred them here while awaiting their claims. Meals and rooms, they say, are covered. What I can tell you is that the treatment here has been very excellent for us, and I am totally grateful, one man told me through a translation app. Over the past eight months, more than 7,000 asylum seekers from Quebec have been transferred to Ontario. By far, the most are being bused to Niagara Falls. As of February 16th, more than 2,800 people had arrived. Ten days later, more than 4,300. The government says transfers from Quebec to Ontario are continuing this month. It's not clear yet how many more asylum seekers will come to stay in Niagara Falls and for how long. Niagara Falls Mayor Jim Diodati wants to be privy to the plans moving forward and have a seat at the table to create solutions. He also wants millions of dollars from Ottawa to deal with the influx. 
As it's a federal issue, he says, the strain on services should not be paid with local property tax dollars. These folks here that are in town are going to schools. They're being bused directly from 11 hotels directly to the schools. And, and the schools are having issues where they got to set up emergency classrooms and libraries and gymnasiums are bringing in extra teachers. And while the city has many hotels, it hasn't bounced back economically from the pandemic. Many are banking on this tourist season. Given the exchange rate and whatnot, a lot of incentives for Americans to come. But if we don't have the hotel stock or the available inventory, because it's a supply and demand thing, prices will be higher, there'll be less rooms. And our concern is it may impact our recovery. We have been noticing some new faces around. This local soup kitchen has noticed an influx in summer. It doesn't require people to explain who they are or why they come, so it's tough to say how many asylum seekers are showing up. But with the increase, keeping up is a challenge. If we are going to get that increase of people, we're going to be in trouble, for sure. We're going to be having to seek out other resources to, to fill the needs. Immigration, Refugees and Citizenship Canada says it's committed to working with municipalities and identify new destinations which can accommodate asylum seekers. Beth McDonnell, CTV News. One of Toronto's biggest sports stars could be facing a big fine or worse. Following last night's loss to the Los Angeles Clippers, Raptors guard Fred Van Vliet pulled no punches when talking about the referees. I mean, I don't mind. I'll take a fine. I don't really care. I thought, you know, um, Ben Taylor was terrible tonight. Um, I thought that on most nights, you know, a couple of the, you know, out of the three, there's one or two that just the game up. You know, and it's, it's, it's been like that a couple couple games in a row. Um, Denver was tough, obviously. You come out tonight, you're competing pretty hard. The third quarter, I get a tech, changes the whole dynamic of the game, changes the whole flow of the game. And, um, you know, most of the refs are trying hard. I like a lot of the refs are trying hard. They're pretty fair. They communicate well. And then you got the other ones who just want to be and um, just kind of the game up. Nobody's coming to see that. They come to see the players. Neither the league nor the team have commented today on Van Vliet's statement. But players typically face steep fines for both public scrutiny and profanity and criticizing referees. The Raps will remain in L.A. to take on the Lakers Friday night. A drug bust goes bust over stacks of cash that went missing. Coming up, why a judge determined police likely took thousands in a case that has now fallen apart. And I'm Pat Foran. Coming up on Consumer Alert, Tim Hortons is facing a major public relations problem after some of its customers thought they'd won $10,000 in the Roll Up the Rim contest, only to be told it was a technical glitch and they don't get the money. I'll have my report just ahead. The good news is your morning commute shouldn't be impacted by this next storm. The evening commute, however, will be disrupted. So start planning ahead and maybe consider working from home tomorrow if you can. So still very much looking like winter these days, but a reminder that we spring forward this weekend and you can look forward to some brighter evenings after that. We'll take you through the weekend forecast coming up and stay with us. We've got another full night of great shows for you right here on CTV. The Tim Hortons Roll Up the Rim contest is off to a rocky start after some people who thought they'd won major prizes 
We're told there was a technical glitch. Several customers across the country believed they had been awarded $10,000 in the popular contest, but the coffee chain is saying it won't pay up. Pat Foran has more on Consumer Alert. Pat. Thanks, Michelle and Nathan. The contest is leaving a bad taste in many customers' mouths after some very excited winners were told it was all a technical error. Customers who thought they had won $10,000 are being told instead they'll get a $50 gift card. You roll up the rim and, and it says you're a winner. Joel Hudman of Fergus, Ontario, was driving his nine-year-old son to school on Monday when he stopped into Tim Hortons. He thought he had hit the jackpot in the roll-up-the-rim contest. It popped up that I had won $10,000 and I was just ecstatic. The prize in the now-digital contest was a $10,000 American Express prepaid gift card. Hudman called his wife right away. Maybe we can do something for March break, like take the kids somewhere. Nice. But then Hudman got a notice from Tim Horton saying there was a technical glitch and he didn't win anything. He was offered a $50 gift card instead. To find out that it was an error and that they're not really going to do much about it is a very big letdown, especially with a big corporation like Tim Horton's. In a statement to CTV News, Tim Horton said a technical error caused an issue for a small subset of roll-up-to-win players. They were shown an incorrect award message for a prize meant to be awarded once per day to one person in our jackpot draw. Even though it was a technical error, many of the customers we spoke with today said the coffee chain should pay the prizes that people thought they'd won. If somebody wins something, I feel like they should get what they deserve. Maybe I'd call my lawyer and see what he says. Ultimately, when they have the roll at the rim to win, Tim Hortons is the only one that wins. Tim Hortons expressed regret for the disappointment caused by the error. While it's not clear how many people were told they had won $10,000, a professor in marketing said the coffee chain is receiving negative publicity and may want to pay out the winnings. Sometimes it might be easier to just pay people the amount that promised, and that actually just shows the sincere apology. For those who thought they had won only to have it taken away, this roll-up-the-rim contest will take some time to get over. There's a lot of upset people, and I feel I'm one of them. It's not our fault. And Tim Hortons has had other problems related to its app and customer privacy issues. Despite the rocky start to the campaign, which is almost 40 years old, the company says there are many prizes to be won with 24 days left in the contest. On your side, I'm Pat Foran. If you have a consumer story idea, email us at alert at ctv.ca. Usually, evidence seized by police is used against the person accused. But in this case, the evidence was used against police. It was the photos of the stacks of cash that exposed the truth and why a drug bust backfired. CTV Scott Lightfoot has the story. It all started in 2019 at this building on Weston Road near Eglinton. Toronto police raided an upstairs apartment looking for drugs. Inside, they found exactly that and thousands of dollars in cash, too. But it's just how much cash was found that this week led a judge to stay the charges against the accused. Judge in this case found that the police stole $6,000 from my client. 
According to Kim Schofield, the lawyer for the formerly accused man, it is the police's own evidence photographs taken both inside the apartment and at the police station that tell the story. And when you compare the two stacks of money, it appears that once they counted the money uh, at the police station and they indicate the denominations, when you recreate those denominations, it looks substantially different from what the police seized in my client's unit. A recreation she did, and one that helped convince a judge that the proceedings against her client should be halted. In his pretrial ruling, Justice Schreck wrote, the money clearly went missing while it was in the control of the police. Absent some other explanation, the only reasonable inference is that it was taken by a police officer. The veteran criminal defense lawyer says in this case, she took an unusual step. This was a little experiment, frankly, on my part to see if, just test the system, see if it's working independently. And they failed miserably. Schofield contacted the Toronto Police Professional Standards Unit before the matter went to trial. And I provided all the information to the professional standards. Instead, they went, they looked at the money, they investigated. I think they probably asked uh, certain officers, did you steal some money? They, re they responded no, and that was it. Closed the investigation, no impropriety found. Today, a Toronto police spokesperson told CTV News, professional standards investigated this matter and based on the evidence available at the time, did not substantiate misconduct. We will review the judgment and any new evidence that may have been presented in court and if need be, will take appropriate action. I think it's, it's not a surprise to anybody that the police investigating the police is, is not uh, a very viable or reliable investigation or, or system. So, so maybe it's a reminder to us all that uh, there's got to be some changes in this regard. Changes Schofield says should involve the use of police body cameras during searches, improved documentation and better training for officers involved in searches, and a re-examination of how police police themselves. The judicial system, the legal system worked. The police accountability system, professional standards, did not. Scott Lightfoot, CTV News. Well, our gorgeous stretch of sunshine, it comes to an end tomorrow with more than just a sprinkle of snow. Yeah, I mean, we were used to the big blast of snow this mm -hmm. time because not so big. This really depends. When you ask this question, which part of the GTA you're joining us from? So, for example, our friends in Hamilton, this storm could be similar to last mm -hmm. week's. But then you ask uh, our friends in maybe Whitby or Oshawa, significantly less in the way of snowfall accumulation. We'll take you through what's expected with this one and the timing of its arrival right now. Weather is brought to you by Train, the most reliable heating and cooling brand. It's hard to stop a train. So right now it looks as though areas like Hamilton, Stony Creek, Grimsby, into the Vineland area, Beamsville, over toward Niagara Falls, you are going to see the most significant snow with this storm because in part of your placement next to Lake Ontario, we're going to have some very strong easterly winds tomorrow. That's going to create some lake enhancement or lake effect snow. And as a result, up to 20 centimeters of snow is going to be possible for higher terrain areas. So the Niagara Escarpment, Hamilton Mountain. Meanwhile, elsewhere, it's uh, 10 to 15 
centimeters of snow expected across the southwest under a winter weather travel advisory. We are under that advisory as well in the city of Toronto, but four to eight centimeters of snow looks a little more likely. All dry right now. All is calm for tonight. We had that beautiful sunshine today, but here's what's waiting in the wings. And this low, it is looking like an all snow event for us this time around in southern Ontario. But notice how it really dives to the southeast as opposed to doing that traditional track a little bit further to the north. So no snow in the forecast for cities like Ottawa and uh, for parts of Muskoka and toward the Quebec border. This should give us a little bit of a snapshot of who's seeing how much snow. And again, this may be on the lower end for Hamilton over toward Niagara. Uh, we're going to see four to eight centimeters in Toronto, maybe closer to 10 centimeters if you're joining us from Burlington and less than that for areas like Markham and North. Here's the forecast radar. Let's give you an idea of the timing of the arrival. It's looking like this is going to start to creep into the GTA, perhaps a little bit earlier than the noon hour in some cases. A morning commute event for areas like Windsor and London, but things really get going for us here locally into the afternoon and then into the evening hours. We're still dealing with it. Going to disrupt the evening commute. It doesn't take much snow to do that here in the GTA. Combine that with reduced visibility thanks to those easterly winds and it could end up being a little bit of a mess. But this tapers off overnight into Saturday. Saturday itself is a dry day. We just might have some shoveling to do once again. Tonight's low minus two degrees. Wind chill minus eight. There's tomorrow at a glance. Again plan on uh, it being a bit of a snowy afternoon and evening but Saturday is a brighter day, a drier day. Chance of flurry Sunday night into Monday, maybe into Tuesday as well. Temperature trend-wise, we're actually a little below seasonal over the next few days and heading into the early part of March break. That's your look at the forecast for now. Nathan, over to you. All right, thank you, Lindsay. Also tonight, the meaning behind all the capes kids are sporting this week. How the superhero staple is fueling opportunities for children facing challenges. Our next story focuses on a few young caped crusaders delivering inspiration beyond the concept of comic books and fantasy. The kids are a part of a yearly initiative meant to spark conversations about disability and inclusion. Our health reporter Pauline Chan has their story. Is this fine? Yeah. Lexin Zhang and youth engagement specialist Dolly Menadak are sporting their Capes for Kids, the annual campaign to benefit Holland Bloorview. I started coming to Holland Bloorview at four years old um, and I got uh, physiotherapy here, occupational therapy, I got fittings for orthotics um, and beyond that I've participated in many of the programs including the art programs here. And so this year, the 23-year-old was invited to design her own cape. It's of a child with a disability, uh, and they're looking up at the stars. Yeah, I use a fabric marker, and I think for, like, the highlights, I used uh, whiteout. She says the design shows how Holland Bloorview opens up opportunities for children facing challenges. Kids that come to Holland Bloorview have an opportunity to participate in art therapy programs and also in our youth engagement strategy for about the past five years, we've focused on using art as a way to express the experience of growing up with a disability. Those experiences have been compiled in a new book for which Lexin has done the cover and illustrations. And yes, she'd like to be a professional artist one day. 
Dana Bleeman says the Capes for Kids campaign supports projects such as developing brain-computer interface technology. And it's for highest priorities of the hospital, so for innovative programs and uh, groundbreaking research. The campaign officially ends on March 10th, but you can make donations to capesforkids.ca until the end of the month. The goal is to raise $1 million. Pauline Chan, CTV News. Israeli actor Haim Topol, best known for playing the milkman Tevya in Fiddler on the Roof, has died. If I were a rich man, Topol went from playing the famous milkman on stage to taking the role on screen in 1971 and receiving an Oscar nomination for Best Actor. He returned to the stage and played Tevya more than 3,500 times in his life. A representative for Topol says he died in Israel after a long illness. He was 87. Stars Tonight is brought to you by Lastman's Bad Boy. Who's better? Nobody. After the break, preventing a train disaster. Insight into Canada's rail safety record and what's being done to keep trains carrying toxic chemicals through the GTA on the tracks. He just like, stood up against the car and they just searched him and everything, uh, put him in the car. Updating our top stories as Peel police continue to investigate the source of mass shooting threats made to several schools. Students and staff at Harold Brathwaite were forced into lockdown following a weapon scare. Police say a teen was arrested and a replica weapon was recovered. I hear about maybe 10 to 15 gunshots. Sounds like they were coming at once, so I believe that there was multiple people shooting at once. Meanwhile, York police are looking for a connection between a fatal overnight shooting in Vaughan and two people found in North York with gunshot wounds. Investigators say the incidents happened around the same time. The province says it's removing TikTok from all government-issued devices effective immediately. Officials say the decision was made as a precautionary approach to protect government data. On the markets, the Canadian dollar was down a fifth of a cent to 72.29 U.S., Oil lost 94 cents to close at 75.72 U.S. a barrel. And the TSX dropped 259 points to end the day at 20,086. Rail disasters abroad in recent weeks have brought rail safety to the forefront. No doubt the GTA with its tracks throughout is not immune, but how do our safety measures stack up? CTV's Raheem Ladani reports. As this freight train rolls through the Junction neighborhood in Toronto, Four-digit codes on the side of the cars explain the cargo. From flammable liquefied petroleum gases to highly toxic sulfuric acid. If you're living near a spill, then you're at risk of inhaling these corrosive chemicals which can attack the inside of your lungs. Plumes of chemicals filled the air in a small town in Ohio last month after a train derailed while carrying hazardous materials. A tragic reminder that this type of disaster can occur anywhere. Action is being taken. We're adding those layers of defense to hopefully prevent this from happening again. Um, as we've seen in Ohio, it can happen. According to the Transportation Safety Board of Canada, there were 86 rail accidents involving dangerous goods in 2021. That's four more than in 2020. And in two of them, the dangerous goods spilled. Things like carcinogens, when you're inhaling those because of a spill, then your lifetime risk of getting cancer later has, has increased. 
a spokesperson for the Railway Association of Canada tells CTV News, for every railway and every railroader in Canada, safety is job one. Canada's freight railways are the safest in North America and among the safest in the world, a record that has only improved in the past decade. Canadian rail safety measures have improved since 2013, when 47 people were killed in Lac Megantic, Quebec, after a runaway train carrying crude oil exploded. Railways are now required to publicly report the types of dangerous goods they transport through a province. But the Transportation Safety Board of Canada says the rail industry has been slow to act on making physical improvements. We really focus in on those recommendations that are key safety issues uh, that continue to exist and where we find perhaps the action and the plans that are taken aren't fully addressing the recommendation to its fullest. Um, so yes, that is one area where we'd like to see uh, action taken more quickly. One of those recommendations includes making improvements to the braking systems, which could help communities be less vulnerable to future disasters. Raheem Ladani, CTV News. The captain of the women's national soccer team says players don't trust the sports governing body to be honest in negotiations over pay equity. Christine Sinclair testified today before a parliamentary committee. Imagine our shock when we found out in 2021, the year that we won Olympic gold, that men's national team players were earning more than five times what a women's national team player was earning. Hours before the hearing, Canada Soccer released part of its proposed bargaining agreement. It includes paying both the women's and men's team the same match fee. Players will receive a $3,500 appearance fee per game, plus win bonuses. And the squads will share equally in competition prize money. Canada Soccer says the women's team would also become the second highest paid women's national squad, presumably behind the U.S. Just ahead in airports efforts to ease the stress of air travel during peak season. How cuddly canines are being used to turn frowns of frustration upside down. Hi, Michelle and Nathan. On the next CP24 Breakfast, it's Academy Award weekend, and we'll take a deep dive into the big contenders and what else is in store at the Super Bowl of award shows. And we'll have a little something for the sports fans, too, a chance to win the Leafs tickets for Saturday night's game against the Oilers. That's on CP24 Breakfast, up first at 5. Billy Bishop Airport is bringing in some adorable backup as March break travel gets underway. St. John Ambulance says his therapy dogs will visit the travel hub on a regular basis, but several teams are now stationed there to provide some comfort to travelers who may be having a hard time or who may not be the best at flying. We're here to help relax people, share the love of our dogs, and make people smile when you're maybe a little nervous about flying and a little crowded here. People coming with stresses, sometimes it's a business meeting, maybe a funeral, uh, start with stresses, and he helps to calm them and put a smile on their face. Billy Bishop says it expects around 10,000 passengers to come through the airport this weekend. Mm -hmm. And no doubt people start flying out probably mm -hmm. tomorrow and then Saturday, but there's some snow to factor into plans. There is, and I'm looking at some green on the satellite and radar right now, but uh, this is looking like a snow event for essentially all of southwestern Ontario and for parts of the GTA. Here's what's coming. A reminder that we remain under a winter weather travel advisory here in Toronto, but it's a snowfall warning for areas like Hamilton and St. Catharines. Waking up tomorrow morning, all will be calm. This is an afternoon and evening snow 
event, so drive carefully if you have to be out tomorrow. Nathan and Michelle. All right, thanks, Lindsay. Be sure to join Omar Sachedina tonight at 11 for CTV National News, followed by Zoraida Allman with our next local newscast at 11.30. In the meantime, our coverage continues anytime on CP24 and online at ctvnewstoronto.ca. For Lindsay and all of us at CTV News, thank you for watching and have a good night.